Let's open the precious word of God to Isaiah, the prophet, the first chapter of Isaiah, the book of the prophet Isaiah. God in his providence, mercy, and kindness has led us to consider this 66 chapter book of the Bible. May he, by his spirit and by his word, teach us, excite us, move us, warn us, comfort us, and promise us peace. Because there are incredible promises in the book of Isaiah, especially in the latter half. The book of the prophet Isaiah. When you look at those words that are the title of this book in your Bible, do you love them? The book. You have a thing in your hands called the Bible, which means the books. And there's 66 books in this book. That's why it's called the Bible, because the Bible means the books. And so we have 66 books, and the title of this one is the book of the prophet Isaiah. It is as if we had come into the divine library, and there are 66 volumes on the shelves, and we don't know where to start, and we trust the Lord to lead us, and we pull one off, and it's the book of the prophet Isaiah. And here we are. You know, it says it's the book of the prophet. A prophet, as we just heard in a prayer, the prophets are gone because the revelation of God is complete. But a prophet was a personal messenger for God that delivered God's will and God's words to his people. And so when it says the book of the prophet, it's referring to the fact that Isaiah was a messenger from God so that the God of heaven could convey information, knowledge, and truth to us by this man named Isaiah. And his name Isaiah is pretty special. His name Isaiah is the same as Joshua, just reversed. Jehovah is salvation. Or, in this case, salvation is by Jehovah. Issa and Ayah. Ayah is that at the end of the word of the name Isaiah, standing for Jah or Jehovah. And Issa is another form of the word salvation. And so Isaiah has a name that fits the content of the book of Isaiah because there's so much in it about his salvation of his people. But it's the book of the prophet Isaiah, and we will have much to say about it. We are not going to make very much progress today, so let me just tell you right now that we're not going to be in chapter 1 going verse by verse yet because I want to help you understand the framework, the background, the context that this man preached in so that you can understand it better. I would beg you, ask you, push you to read the book of Isaiah, to get familiar with its chapters. I sent you three pages. You can get familiar with the geography. You can get familiar with the outline. You can get familiar with the main players by just those three pages I sent you 
so that when their names pop up, you know what is being described. And so I encourage you to be reading the book of Isaiah and to choose to make it an important part of your life right now. I hope that you're able to make it important to you. If you don't like reading that much, then turn on Alexander Scorby or some of the other free audio programs you have for your Bible and let them read it to you and get familiar with some of these chapters. I've shared with you recently how having it read to Sherry and me is better, it's more efficient than me reading it to her or us reading it together because I can't stop as frequently and interrupt the reading because I like to comment about three times a verse and it destroys reading for my wife's sake. So I like Alexander Scorby. And some of you have devices that you can even slow him down a little bit. When Alexander Scorby made that recording, he was doing it to a metronome so that there wouldn't be one million cassettes duplicated. There would only be 200 of them uh, for a complete set of the King James Bible by Alexander Scorby. But that is one way you can do it. And you know, we now have the devices and we now have the means and we have free DVDs back there on the shelf that you can take and plug into your DVD player and it will give you the audio of Alexander Scorby and it will flip pages of a big Bible on your big screen so that you, your children can learn how to read by listening to Alexander Scorby read them the King James Bible. So you have lots of ways. I hope that you have favorite verses in Isaiah. I hope you have some favorite chapters and some favorite sections. I don't know how far I'm going to get today, but I wanted to put down my hundred favorite sections, not verses, because then it would be a bigger number. I had to combine them into sections, and I blew through a hundred so fast that it's 105 right now, and there's a whole lot on the cutting room floor, because this book is some of the most eloquent, beautiful, metaphorical descriptions of the God of heaven and His Son Jesus Christ, salvation, sin, judgment, chastening in the Bible. Right. It is a beautiful piece of literature. And those that have read the Bible know that Isaiah is exceptional that way. The book of the prophet Isaiah. We do not kiss the Bible in our church. The Catholics kiss their Bibles because they don't read them, but they kiss them. And we read them, but once in a while I feel like kissing it because I love this. Amen. And to open it is like opening a treasure chest filled with precious stones. To open this black book to Isaiah, the first chapter, is like opening a treasure box. It's like and forgive me, the carnal comparison, it's like the New England Patriots opening their boxes at a dinner a week ago with their Super Bowl rings in those boxes, but this is far better. Amen. To open the treasure chest of God, which makes me want to read to you from Matthew chapter 13 and verse 52, these words. Then said he unto them, Jesus to the Jews, Therefore, every scribe which is instructed unto the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which bringeth forth out of his treasure, 
things new and old. We will cover things new and old in the treasure of Isaiah. And a scribe is someone who is committed to words. A scribe was, were those that copied the scriptures and knew them in great detail, but they bring things new and old out. We want to get everything we can from the book of Isaiah. Look at Psalm 19 and verse 10 with me. Right for a moment, I want to prepare your spirit about this task before us. My spirit's been prepared. Some of your spirits are ready because you've told me, and I want to help the rest of you as well. Psalm 19 and verse 10. In Psalm 19, it is one of the glorious psalms in telling us how God reveals himself to us. In the first six verses, he reveals himself to us by creation. In verses 7 through 11, he reveals himself by scripture. And it says in verse 10, More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now that is a choice. David said it, so it was true to David. The Holy Spirit inspired it, so it was proper terminology. But is it true of you? Is the word of God, according to this verse, more to be desired than much fine gold? We put forth enormous efforts for our education. We put forth enormous efforts professionally to get paid. But is it more important to you to know the book of Isaiah than to be paid, than to get a promotion, than to get a raise? It should be. It's more to be desired, according to David. And it's sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. They didn't have Snickers bars or milkshakes, but they had honey and the honeycomb. And if you've ever... By the way, honey is twice as sweet as sugar. If you've ever had honeycomb, it is something very sweet, and the scriptures are sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. David said so. The Holy Spirit inspired it, but it's your choice. I tried to share with you a week ago what is my favorite verse of the Bible, or what is my favorite chapter, or what is my favorite book, and I wrote and tried to explain to you that it's whatever I'm looking at at the moment. It's my favorite. Isaiah's my favorite right now. You know, if you'd have asked me a few months ago, I'd have said Hebrews is my favorite. And you know that Hebrews is very important to me. If it was a chapter, I would say Psalm 45 is right up there because it's the love song of Jesus Christ and His church. And favorite verses? I've told you that my favorite verse for a long time was Psalm 37.4, then it moved to Romans 15.13. But it's a choice that right now, it's all about Isaiah. And pulling out of Isaiah my 105 favorite sections was not a chore. The chore was keeping it limited to 105. Because this book of Isaiah is filled with good things. And it's a choice to be excited about it. Now look over at Psalm 119, which is the other psalm about the Bible. Psalm 19 and Psalm 119, you should be able to remember that, are both about the Bible. Psalm 19 is about the Bible, Psalm 119 is about the Bible, and hardly any other psalm is about the Bible like these two are. 
Psalm 119 and verse 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. I am an excitable person. I can get excited about a lot of things. And I'm an emotional person. And I'm an enthusiastic person. When I was hired for a job that I wasn't qualified for early in my life, they told me that they hired me because I was the most enthusiastic person they had ever met. So there's enthusiasm there, but enthusiasm applied to the Bible is what matters. Who cares about enthusiasm in finance versus enthusiasm in the Bible? And it's a choice. And David made his choice in 111. Thy testimonies have I taken as an heritage forever, for they are the rejoicing of my heart. And I'm calling on you right now to make the same choice David did, to make his words your heritage and the rejoicing of your heart. There are things that excite me. There are things that excite you. But let's make ourselves more excited by God's word than anything else. Otherwise, we are hypocrites. Otherwise, we are idolaters. If we make something more important than God and his word, we are idolaters of a new sort. Lord, save us from any such thing. If you do not get excited about Isaiah or spend time reading it between Sundays, how can you think you are saved? Since God wrote it to tell you about His Son, Jesus Christ, and the glorious gospel era of His kingdom and the conversion of the Gentiles. If you don't read it, if you don't get excited about it, if you don't put any investment of your own into it, but expect me to spoon-feed you every morsel from this book, how can you think that you're saved? This is God's Word about His Son. If you don't love His Word about His Son, on what basis can you presume that you have eternal life? You must make the only wise choice to exalt God's words by affection and prayer. Here in Psalm 119, I want to show you other verses of David's choice. Look at verse 15. I want you to notice, listen, when you read about David in the Bible, and I I stress this point a lot because I want you to realize it about the Bible, God told us more about David than any ten other people in the Bible. We know David from the inside out. We know David from his youth to David on his deathbed. We have the last words of David in 2 Samuel 23. We have some of the first words of David when he was a teenager. We know everything in between. We know his enemies. We know his friends. We know his worship. We know his invention of musical instruments. We know that he loved to praise God. We know his heart because his heart is on the pages of the Psalms. He tells us what he's thinking inside. He tells us of his tears. He tells us of his fears. He tells us of his troubles. He tells us of his worries. He tells us of his hopes. It's all there. This man made a choice about God's word like this. Verse 15 of Psalm 119. I will. That is a future declaration and a promise by David of what he's going to do about God's words. I will meditate in thy precepts and have respect unto thy ways. 
Can you say that with me? I will embrace the book of Isaiah. I will look for God's ways in the book of Isaiah for my life. Verse 16, I will delight myself in thy statutes. He, that, those words do not say, I do delight, I have delighted, but they are a future commitment. And I'm asking you for that commitment. For you to benefit the most, it can't be me just spoon-feeding you. You need to get familiar with it yourself and embrace it. And then you, we will all benefit together. I'm going to benefit anyway. And I'm going to benefit as many of you as I can, but I want you to benefit as much as possible. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. Can we say that about Isaiah? Look at verse 46. Verse 46, I will speak of thy testimonies also before kings and will not be ashamed. Here's his commitment that he's going to talk about it wherever he is. He is not ashamed of God's words, even if he is before a king. Verse 47, and I will delight myself in thy commandments, which I have loved. I have loved them, but I am committed to the future that I will continue to delight in them. If I don't get you a little bit right now, then I'm going to be struggling in quicksand to accomplish very much with you. You've got to make a choice that you're going to delight in God's words like David did. Look at verse 62. At midnight I will rise to give thanks unto thee because of thy righteous judgments. Look at verse 93. I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. You've made me alive and excited me and motivated me with your precious word. And then verse 117. Hold thou me up, and I shall be safe, and I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. I will have respect unto thy statutes continually. Let's make that choice about Isaiah. Your favorite verse, chapter, or book can uh, be Isaiah now. And it's a choice to receive God's words as God's words. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2 with me. And I, I want to show you a little part of the verse that's often overlooked because we, we get worked up about the first half of the verse and we overlook the last part of the verse. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 about preaching. This is Paul describing the great character of the Thessalonians and how they received his preaching. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Wow. This has got to be some significant event. Because for this cause also thank we God without ceasing. Paul and the apostles did not stop thanking God for this character trait of the Thessalonians. Because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, when you heard our preaching, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God. Right. When you heard us preach, you Thessalonians did not consider it the words of Paul or of Silas or of Timotheus. You considered them the words of God because they were coming from the Bible. And so you made that choice. And this is a choice. It's going to be Isaiah. It's going to be God through Isaiah. I'm just going to be a scribe showing it to you. But I want you to notice the last part of this verse. Which effectually worketh also in you that believe. 
when you believe God's words, there is an effectual power released by Scripture to change your life. My prayer for people that I meet and for you, for everyone these last few years have been, I pray that God will bless you by His Spirit and His Word to prosper in the will of God in every part of your life. Because we need the Spirit to bless the Word, but we need the Word because the Word effectually works in believers. Are you ready to believe Isaiah with me? It will effectually work in you. That means it's effective when it effectually works. You know, we often quote the little verse in James 5, 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Well, that's an effective prayer that, gets, that accomplishes its goal. And this is effective. God's word. When you embrace it and believe it. Let's go back and look at that title page. The first page of Isaiah. The first page of Isaiah. And if I kiss it, you know that I'm not kissing a relic. Uh, I just love the Word of God. And the Lord knows I love it. And the Lord knows I love every word of His Word. And I, don't, I want no other man to beat me on this planet in loving the individual words of God. They can all beat me in every other way, but they're not going to beat me in love of His Word or love of His Son or love of Him. And I guess the list gets longer than that if I was to think about it. We want to be known for our love because that's a choice. You know, our intellect is His choice. How we use our intellect is ours, but our love of Him is our choice. Let's give it to Him. Amen. Let's give Him all we can. I want you to look at that, the book of the prophet Isaiah in the first verse. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So God gave Isaiah a vision and revealed things to him from heaven. His father's name was Amos. He saw things, the future of Judah and Jerusalem. Jerusalem being the capital of Judah. Judah being the two tribes of Israel after the ten tribes left them and became called Israel and Ephraim. Ephraim was a nickname for the ten tribes. And Ephraim will pop up in the book of Isaiah. And we're told when. The days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, four consecutive kings of Judah. And it's going to be matter about Judah, the two tribes, and the capital city of Jerusalem where the temple of God was. So we're told these things. But now, if you want to really understand Isaiah with me, there's some side reading we need to do. My outline started out with required reading. I thought that was a little strong. So I changed it to suggested reading because I'm so gentle. So I suggested it to suggested helpful reading is what it says. 2 Kings 15 through 20. Oh, it will be communicated to you, but you can write it down right now if you want to do it this afternoon. 2 Kings, six chapters, chapters 15 through 20, cover those four kings. And so that is great cross-reference material, and 2 Chronicles 26 through 32, that's seven chapters, 2 Chronicles 26 through 32, those 13 chapters give you the context, the history around these four kings and the events taking place and the enemies 
that reared up their ugly heads during this period of time. So the one you're reading through Isaiah, oh yes, oh yes, I know that name. Yes, I know that nation. Yes, I know the problem that existed there. Because the Bible is a complete system of truth. And we do not want to study Isaiah in a vacuum. Then we start turning toward the sound of its words when we want the sense of its words. We want the meaning and the value and the intent of those words from the Lord. Now let me share this with you. Hezekiah and Sennacherib. Sennacherib was the king of Assyria. And he came against Israel. And he came against Judah. And he came against Jerusalem and besieged Jerusalem. That was, the, that was the king that lost 185,000 soldiers in one night to the angel of the Lord. I mean, we, you know the story. Hezekiah, that same year, was terrified. Hezekiah was terrified with Sennacherib outside the city walls. They were unable, from a natural standpoint, to defend themselves. So he lays the letter of Sennacherib and Rabshakeh before the Lord. Are you all familiar with that great Bible story? He lays it down there and says, Lord, look what they're saying about you. <laughs> oh, that works. That works. Right. And it worked. But that same year, that same year that, that Sennacherib is outside the city walls, Hezekiah got a disease, and Isaiah came and told him, Thou shalt surely die. Get your house in order. In the same year, it's the 14th year of Hezekiah. He's only 39 years old. And he prayed. Remember, Isaiah came in and said, Get your house in order. You're going to die. Hezekiah wa Isaiah walks out, excuse me, Hezekiah turns his face to the wall, has a prayer. The Lord turns Isaiah around. Isaiah comes right back in and says, The Lord's given you 15 more years. Amen. He died at 54. The Lord's given you 15 more years. And to prove it, watch the, watch the shadow in the sundial go backward. And you know that. Okay, I want to. Those events that I just shared with you are in the Bible three times. Now, there aren't very many things in the Bible three times. You've got Kings and you've got Chronicles. You've got Samuel and you've got Chronicles so that you get some of the Kings twice. But you get those events three times because they are in Isaiah chapters 36 through 39 along with Kings and along with Chronicles. So I want you to realize that one of those four Kings, Hezekiah, is very important in the sight of God. God tells us about Hezekiah that there was no other king before or after that ever trusted in God like he did. That's right. Now, I happen to like the story of Sennacherib and Hezekiah for something I shared with you about a year ago by slides. Do you remember? Lord, look at this letter. He thinks he can do to us, your virgin daughter, what he's done to all these other gods, nations, and cities. Remember when I went through that with you? Because I love the answer. God said, here's my answer. The virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn. Amen. She hath tossed her head at thee. Right. And you know, I went through, I went through a little drama with you about a high school dance of the guy who's conquered all the other girls coming after a virgin in the audience because that was God's little virgin. Zion in Jerusalem was his virgin. And he said, the virgin daughter of Zion hath laughed thee to scorn, big boy. You may have taken some other little whores out 
that are worshiping false gods, but this is my little girl, and you're not going to touch her. And she hath laughed thee to scorn and tossed her head at thee. All of that was to tell you, 36, 37, 38, and 39, four chapters in the middle of Isaiah, repeat Kings and repeat Chronicles, and that's the law of emphasis in Bible study, that God wants you to know those stories and know them well. So, you can read the six chapters in 2 Kings 15 through 20, the seven chapters in 2 Chronicles, and then turn over to Hosea with me. Turn over to Hosea. Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Let me show you something else for some other side reading. If you really want to learn your Bible with your pastor, Hosea. First verse of Hosea. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. Same four kings. So now we've got a contemporary prophet. Hosea is a contemporary prophet of Isaiah, preaching at the very same time, during the reign of the very same four kings, although he, his ministry is not going to be about Jerusalem and Judea, Judah, and to them, but rather to the ten tribes, to Israel, who was under Jeroboam II. That's why he's called Jeroboam the son of Joash, and not Jeroboam the son of Nebat, that got Israel started. So notice that. So now we've got ourselves a 14-chapter book that is a contemporary, so the wars and the political movements back and forth are going to be addressed here as well. I would consider this secondary reading to 2 Kings and Chronicles. This would be less of importance, but still, it's a contemporary. Now, if you go over to Amos, Hosea, Joel, Amos, look at Amos chapter 1. The words of Amos, verse 1, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel, notice, it's not Jerusalem and Judah, it's Israel, in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. So Amos, nine chapters, is also a contemporary of Isaiah because God, by the Holy Spirit, told us that with these neat little first verses. And then turn over a few more minor prophets to Micah. Micah. After Jonah. Jonah also prophesied at the same time, but Jonah's ministry wasn't to Judah, and Jonah's ministry wasn't to Israel. Jonah's ministry was to Nineveh. But you know, is that important? Who is the great enemy that is always hanging over Isaiah like a cloud? The Assyrians. And where did Jonah go? What city did he not want to go to? Nineveh. What was Nineveh? The capital of Assyria. So it all connects if we'll just learn our Bibles together. Micah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah, the Moorish site in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So he saw a little bit toward Jerusalem, and he saw most of it toward Samaria. So there you've got contemporary prophets identified for us in the Bible. Don't let these last 17 books of the Old Testament terrify you. The last 17 books of the Old Testament are the prophets. 
There's four major prophets with five books, and there's 12 minor prophets. And the word major minor is simply meaning size, size. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Daniel are big. And Lamentations is stuck in and attached to Jeremiah. And the rest are small little things. Isaiah is bigger than all the minor prophets put together. And so don't be intimidated by them. We are given dated material and timing factors so that we can connect them together. Expository preaching. You know, I, I, I try to split my time about 50-50. Topical preaching and expository preaching. Some people like expository preaching and wish all preaching was expository. Others like topical because it goes right after a subject and they wish that most preaching was topical. Expository preaching is one of the traits of higher ground that we want in our church. Amen. And so we're going to pursue it and we're going to do it right now with Isaiah. Hearers can easily remember what they heard. They can read ahead. They can review the passage and so that it's useful for churches and members following along with their pastor. You can focus on sentences, verses, phrases, and words for learning and retention that we're going to cover in detail. It helps to learn the Bible and not just a subject from the Bible, though both have their place. Expository preaching always opens us up to topical studies by what the Lord leads us to in every given chapter. Right. Are we going to get into women's accessories? What chapter will we get into the most detailed list of female accessories for beauty that you even thought existed in any literature? What chapter? Three. Chapter 3. Because it's the, last, it's the second half of chapter 3. I mean, Isaiah is going to take us through a long laundry list, and I've shown you each one of those pieces, each one of those tools that they had for beautifying themselves, and each one of those accessories, I've shown you slide pictures of them in times past. So it's going to bring up a topical study was my point. Even though we're preaching through the chapter of, Daniel, of Isaiah chapter 3. For those that are superstitious about expository preaching, and there are some that are superstitious about it, meaning that all preaching should be expository, I have this to say. Jesus or Paul never preached expository. Not one sermon, not ever. Never. Not ever. They preached topically. And they would pull from here, pull from here, pull from here, put it together, and lay out a sermon. You, you open Hebrews chapter 1, you open up Romans chapter 3, and there's Paul. Again, again, Romans 15, again, again, again. He's pulling from all over the Bible to lay out a topical study. Right. Just read. You, you can't find it in the Bible where Paul would read a couple chapters of Deuteronomy, then explain the verses one at a time. Just So don't get too caught up. But we have Nehemiah chapter 8 and verse 8, and we like that. What attitude should we have? I've already been over our attitude. It's a spiritual book, and you should love it. May the Lord bless us as we go through it. Pray for your pastor. In Isaiah, we're going to hear God warn his church about hypocrisy. In Isaiah, we're going to have many prophecies of Jesus in the gospel era with Gentiles. In Isaiah, we will have affairs and futures of nations altered by our sovereign God. If, when we get done with Isaiah, if you still worry about politics, you didn't pay attention. Right. There's going to be huge movements of empires in the book of Isaiah, and God's in charge of all of it. And he's just mocking them all, and he's, for, he's telling in the advance what's going to happen for you to know that he's completely in charge. That's right. It's going to be precious to us that way. 
In Isaiah, we're going to see God boast of His divine greatness and share detailed prophecies with us. And you know, I'm thankful that a few months ago I was able to share with you God boasting in the book of Isaiah and then God boasting in the book of Job with you. But it's going to be in Isaiah because of His ability to foretell the future and bring it to pass. Pray for your pastor. God's blessed us in the past with some of our lengthy expository studies like Hebrews in 88, Ecclesiastes in 08, Romans in 2009 to 2014, and John in 2016 to 2018. Thank you, Lord. But you need to put some effort into Isaiah. Don't, don't let it be all me. Okay, we're looking at the, let's go back to that title page. I just want to stare at it for a while. If there's a moment of silence, I'm just looking at it. Have you ever seen someone look at a diamond? You know, they want to take that diamond, they want to hold it up in sunlight, and they just want to turn it. They just want to turn it and see all those facets. And when I look at Isaiah, I'm a little bit ahead of you in it. I, I know that there's a few facets inside here. And I've got 105 facets that I kind of like a lot. And the ones on the floor I like. I had to write you in the Friday update about Isaiah chapter 48 and verse 13. It was on the cutting room floor. And I asked you, should I make 106 favorite verses and sections of Isaiah? Because I love Isaiah 48, 13. But it didn't make the cut. Or did it? Did I throw someone else out to make room for it? Now you'll soon know. The title of the book, A Prophet is a Messenger of God, a Revealer of God's Will, a Declarer of Divine Truth. The word prophet is a very meaningful word. Isaiah is a meaningful name. Salvation of Jehovah, it equals Joshua. It's Joshua flipped around. Joshua in the Bible is also written out as Jehoshua. And when it's Jehoshua, you're able to see the meaning more easily, aren't you? Because it's got J-E-H-O to start the name, which is the first four letters of Jehovah. So it's Jehoshua, Jehovah Shua, Jehovah Salvation, Jehovah is my salvation. Flip those around and you have Isha and Ia and you've got salvation is by Jehovah. We do that. We're Elijah. Raise your hand. Thank you. Elijah means Elohim is, and my God is Jehovah. Eli Hebrew for Elohim, a, na a name for God. My God is Jehovah. But Joel in our church is that reversed. Joel, Jehovah is my God. Because you've got J-O for Jehovah and E-L for Elohim. Jehovah is my God. My God's Jehovah. They mean the same thing. So does Joshua and Isaiah. And when you get into Isaiah and see the chapters about salvation, it's a perfect name for the book. Right. You say, you're getting really worked up about details. Yes. Thank you. Amen. You're welcome. I do get worked up about details. I like the name of this book. You say you're still looking at it. You're still playing with the title page. Yes, I looked it up in the 1611 to make sure it was exactly the same. And it's been the same for 408 years now. The book of the prophet Isaiah. No book in the Bible has more boasting by Jehovah of his salvation. Salvation, not creation. Creation's way down here. Salvation is way up here. Right. Progressive revelation. Isaiah comes after Job by a long way in time, 
and a good distance in your scriptures because it's about salvation. And nowhere in the Bible does God boast and brag and shout about His power in saving than in the 40s chapters of Isaiah. And you know that. But let's remember that as we think about starting this book. We're not going to start it right now, so just hold on. I have a whole lot more. Listen, I've been told by good brothers in this church, if it takes you several weeks to introduce this book, just go ahead and take those several weeks. And I love that kind of comfort. Because I'm not impatient about it. I want, you to, I want you to think about the whole book together before we dive into its details. I do not want it to be the sound of words in Isaiah 1. I want it to be the sense of the words and what this man's ministry was over the, the reign of those four kings. No Old Testament books spend so many chapters and verses on God's deliverance of Judah and his people. No Old Testament book has more of substitutionary salvation than we have in Isaiah 52 and 53. God in this book is going to li- speak to listeners to build up their faith and hope in Him and His Son. Isaiah is named in the Old Testament. Over there, when you read those sections of 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles, you're going to run into Isaiah in a number of places. Now, when Isaiah comes into the New Testament, do you ever read the word Isaiah in the New Testament? No. No. Because that Hebrew name coming into Greek, then coming into English, is Isaiah. But Isaiah is in the New Testament 21 times. And depending on how precise you want to be about quotations, Isaiah is quoted or referred to like a quotation around 60 times in the New Testament, second only to the book of Psalms. But it's Isaiah. And so when you see Isaiah in the New Testament, and it's there 21 times, that's that Hebrew word have going into Greek, New Testament, then to us in English, it's Isaiah. But it's Isaiah. So when it says, as Isaiah the prophet wrote, or as Isaiah the prophet said, you can find it in the book of Isaiah. We have five poetry books. Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Remember, they stand for five Ps. Then we have the 17 books of the prophets. And we have the big ones, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel. Four prophets are considered major. And then we have all these little ones that are rather short and small. Isaiah is the first of the 17 prophets. The prophets are one quarter of your Bible. One quarter of your Bible are the 17 prophets. It's a large part of your Bible. And Isaiah is first. Isaiah is first because of its timing. The four kings, Jeremiah was after Isaiah. Jeremiah, during his life, the Babylonian captivity occurred. Isaiah is like 200 years in front of Cyrus the Persian. So Isaiah is first in time. So he's first in the line of the 17 prophets, and he's the largest. So it just fits that he goes there. He prophesied first, and he was certainly major. Isaiah is a substantial book of the Bible. It's got 66 chapters and 1,292 verses. As if you cared. I care. It's got 1,292 verses. Why do you care, Pastor? Because Isaiah is the second largest book in the Bible by chapters after Psalms. And it's fourth largest by verses because Psalms has so many and Genesis has a few more and Jeremiah has a few more. But here's what's interesting for you, for me to keep 
a commitment that I made that I'm going to try to keep. How many verses on average per chapter in Ezekiel? Only 19. There are some very, in Isaiah, there are some very short chapters in Isaiah, and that's going to help me to see if, to see if I can preach one sermon per chapter to get us through Isaiah in 66 sermons plus introduction. The rest of the Bible averages 26 verses a chapter. So Isaiah's chapters, because of some very, very short ones, will give us, give me some relief in trying to stay on schedule. The reason I want to do Isaiah faster than John is because Isaiah isn't as important as John because John's in the New Testament and John was the doctrine of the Lord Jesus Christ taught from his very mouth. And because of progressive revelation, it's the New Testament versus the Old and so forth and so on. The other, the other is I don't want you to get lost in these historical things going back and forth. And if we veer off the page too much, you're going to get lost in all the political machinations going on during that period of time. And I want us to stay with what Isaiah is really saying and how we can apply it to ourselves. So I want to keep the pace up as we go through this book. I mean, John's, John's chapters average 42 verses. I mean, those are serious chapters in John. Now remember when you look at Isaiah that uh, no, no book of the Bible had chapters in it until about 1000 A.D., and there were no verses in it until the middle of the 16th century. Stevens put the, verse, the verses in the Bible about 1550. So they weren't there, but I thank God for them. And I thank God for preserving them and blessing them because they help us find places very fast. Can you imagine if Isaiah didn't have chapters or verses? It'd be hard to find what verse we're going to look at for the moment. But because we have an address system in our Bibles and God has providentially blessed it, we use it. And we, we thank God for it. Look at Isaiah 12. Look at Isaiah 12. Isaiah is one of three books, only three, to use the name Jehovah rather than how the King James usually puts it, the capital L-O-R-D. You know, the capital L-R-R-D is thousands of times standing for the, the Hebrew tetragrammaton, J-H-V-H, Y-H-V-H, um, you know, has no vowels, so it can't be pronounced until it's pointed up with vowels, then it becomes Jehovah, not Yahweh. There's no Yahweh in the Bible. There never was. That's a recent invention by men. There's all the Jehovah Nissi and Elijah and Jehoshaphat. Those are all based on Jehovah. There is no Yahweh fat. There, you know, I've, I've been over this. I just don't want... Don't listen to somebody that wants to talk about Yahweh. They don't know what they're talking about. They're messed up about the Bible. Right. And we, we have a Bible that gives us His name. In, in Exodus chapter 3 and verse 6, Moses saw the burning bush. And the Lord told, called Moses to go back to Egypt and bring my people out of Egypt. And Moses said, if they ask me who sent me, what is your name? And God said, I am that I am. Right. And it's in all caps. And, and that is J-H-V-H. Four consonants 
the sacred tetragrammaton of I am that I am. But when it's pointed up with vowels, it's Jehovah. And if we just go over to Exodus chapter 6 and verse 3, and I'm not turning you there right now, but God told Moses, I have treated you specially because I was known to Abraham as Almighty God. But to you I have revealed myself as Jehovah. Jehovah is I am that I am, the four Hebrew consonants pointed up with vowels so it can be pronounced. I'm going to stop right there. I will defer to my Baptist forefather, John Gill, who was the most knowledgeable about the Jewish rabbis of anyone that lived except them. And you ought to read his defense that Adam knew how to pronounce Jehovah. All the way back. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Where does Jehovah appear in your Bible? Instead of the capitals L-O-R-D. That capital L-O-R-D is for the Hebrew tetragrammaton, J-H-V-H. But, we, but our King James translators put capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And whenever you find that in the Old Testament, it means, I am that I am, Jehovah. There's only three books, Exodus, that I've already referred to, Psalms, and right here. And there's only four of them in the Bible. Two of them in Isaiah. Right here, here we go. Isaiah 12, verse 1. In that day thou shalt say, O Lord. Now notice the all caps. There's Jehovah under the King James protocol of capital L-O-R-D. I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord, Jehovah, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. The Lord, Jehovah. It's as strong as you can say it in the Bible. And there it is in Isaiah 12 too. We'll get to that chapter in 13 weeks or so. Maybe. Come over to Isaiah 26. I, will, I hope you noticed in verse in 12 too, I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah, I am that I am. You can put your trust in a God with that name. We, Allah, Allah is their name. Vishnu and Rama and the rest are their names. We have a name for our God, and God is not a name. The name of our God is Jehovah. And there is no connection between Jehovah and Allah. Isaiah 26. Verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. I want you to notice the word trust. Just like chapter 12. Trust ye in the Lord forever, for in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. Notice, trust Jehovah, strength, and peace. If you don't have perfect peace in your life, it is not God's fault. It is not circumstantial fault. It's your fault. It's my fault. If I don't have perfect peace, it's my fault because I let my mind get moved off of Jehovah God. I am that I am. He is eternally independent in existence from all others. He alone can help you. He will help you. I am with you. 
I am your God. I will be with you. Put your trust in him. Notice both 12 and 26 emphasize trust, Jehovah, strength. How many times does Psalms have Jehovah? Once. How many times does Exodus have Jehovah? Once. Isaiah's special. It's got it twice. I think I'm speaking to all Gentiles this morning. Fifteen occurrences of the word Gentiles in the book of Isaiah. Nations 41 times and unassigned people 80 times. Now there's assigned people, my people, this people, my people, this people. Blow them out. The unassigned people, guess who the unassigned ones are? You and me. We're in there, over, we're in there so many times because he's coming after us. And the real glory that he told the Jews is, yes, I'll get you back from Babylon and you can rebuild your city. You can rebuild the temple. But uh, the, real, the real big part of that is all the nations of the earth are going to flow toward that capital city because they're going to want to hear my son and they're going to want to hear about my son. And so you see the ministry of Jesus Christ and the apostles extending to the nations being the great blessing that was coming. And it just continues to build throughout Isaiah. That's, that's forcing me to make... I, uh, I'm sorry that I gave you Isaiah 1 to read last night. Uh, just a little bit. I gave you Isaiah 40. How many books are there in the Bible? 66. How many chapters in Isaiah? Uh, I'll go over that. Don't put too much stock in that. But there are 66 chapters in Isaiah and 66 books in the Bible. And some have shown that every chapter can be aligned to its book in, by numbers. I don't do that, and I'm not going to do it with you, because you know something about me. I don't play games like that with the Bible. However, the first 39 books, the first 39 chapters of Isaiah are very much like the Old Testament because it is judgment and condemnation for sin. And 40 through 66 are of a totally different character of promises of blessing and salvation. No, what's the first word of Isaiah 40? Comfort ye my people. What is Matthew chapter 1? The generation of Jesus Christ is, and it's all comfort by, by Jesus Christ. What you need, what's, what I want to stick in right here is that Isaiah goes back and forth. Isaiah will give you two verses, five verses, ten verses, a chapter on woe, judgment for sin and hypocrisy. God's going to pound. And, and he'll have two verses or four verses or six verses of promised blessing and then go right back. You're, you're gonna be a, you might be a little irritated in your flesh about how much he goes back and forth. But, but there's these little bits of hope that he is always stringing out while he's warning about the terrible judgment that's coming, but I will never forsake you. Oh, he calls, he calls the land of Judah, O Emmanuel. Why? Because he's got to preserve it or his son can't come. I, it's, and he just does that all the way through the book. Let me show you. I'm sorry what you had to read last night. I, gave it, I sent it to you for a purpose. Isaiah chapter 1. Turn the page. Okay, I want to show you this back and forth that I want you to get used to and I want you to look for it. I want you to realize that he can be, 
going on for four, six, eight verses about judgment, and it sounds terrible, and all of a sudden, whoa, what is that in there? That's to comfort you a little bit, that he's got good things in store. Isn't it nice when, when your dad, well, my, where is my dad? Oh, there, okay, you moved just a little bit. You know, it was nice to hear after I had stripes, after he gave me stripes to tell me that he loved me and he did it for my good. Who wants to turn my 88-year-old father into DSS? I'll testify for him in court that if there's one thing he, did, he should have done more of with me, you know what it was. He would have been more stripes. But the Lord is talking about stripes, love. Stripes, love. What? Isaiah 2. I would love to read from 6 to the end of the chapter. Verse Isaiah 2, 6. Therefore thou hast forsaken thy people, the house of Jacob. There's God forsaking them. He goes on to say they're so prosperous with wealth in verse 7. They're, in verse 8, they're guilty of idolatry. All kinds of men are bowing themselves down to idols. Don't forgive them in verse 9. Enter into the rock and hide yourself because God's going to crush you. Verse 11, the, loft, the lofty looks of man are going to be humbled because God's going to tear them the day of the Lord of hosts. Verse 12 will be upon them. He's going he's to flatten everyone. The loftiness of man in verse 17 shall be bowed down. Look at verse 22. Cease ye from man whose breath is in his nostrils, for wherein is he to be accounted of? Verse 20, in that day a man shall cast his idols of silver and his idols of gold, which they made each one for himself to worship to the moles and to the bats to go into the clefts of the rocks. They're going to be hiding themselves in the rocks from God that's going to come in judgment. Now that's chapter 2. You read chapter 1 last night. Now let me read you the first five verses of chapter 2 right in the middle of all this gore. Watch. The words that Isaiah the son of Amos saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall come to pass in the last days the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains. Zion and Jerusalem and the temple and worship of God is going to be exalted in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow unto it. <laughs> right in the middle. This is us. The conversion of the Gentiles. All nations rejoicing in Jerusalem. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Because there's going to be peace. And God's put peace in his kingdom. His kingdom is a kingdom of peace. He's the prince of peace. And he's brought peace to us. And we have a bunch of hot-headed people sitting in this room. And we are at peace with each other and in unity with each other. And it's right smack dab in the middle of gore. Right. Fear, terror of the Lord against the hypocrites. But there's always the promises of his blessing, his comfort, his salvation, his regathering, and the conversion of the Gentiles. I do not have a tally yet on the backs and forths. It is shocking in some chapters. He will go back and forth several times in one chapter. He's not confused. And neither should you be confused. And God's not confused. But God's throwing out little hints, little tokens of good. There aren't any for Israel. 
the ten tribes didn't get them like this. This is because it's Judah, and his son comes through Judah. The ten tribes were scattered. The ten tribes ended. He regathered Judah out of Babylon, put them back in Jerusalem. What's the overview of Isaiah, Pastor? Well, let's see if I can simplify it down to one compound sentence. God will punish Judah and the nations for their sins, but he will send three deliverers, especially his son, to save elect Jews and Gentiles to rebuild a glorious kingdom. And the three deliverers are Hezekiah, Cyrus, and Jesus. God will punish Judah and the nations. As soon as you get to chapter 13, all the way from 13 to 27, is going to be Isaiah unloading on the nations, nation by nation, all the neighboring nations around Judah, unloading on them, starting with Babylon. Now, Babylon wasn't even a problem yet. 200 years in advance, he tells about Babylon being overthrown by the Medes and Persians because that was a coming enemy. You get, I, a, a prophet's panorama of the future is different from ours because there's no time with God. So in chapter 10, it's Sennacherib. Who, I just gave it away. Who is the king in chapter 10 that God is mocking? You are a saw in my hand, and I'm the one sawing with you. That's Sennacherib, chapter 10. Chapter 13 is all about Babylon being overthrown by the Medes and Persians. There's a 200-year time gap between those two chapters. Then it goes back to Sennacherib in chapter 36 with the historical details about Sennacherib. And then the 40s of Isaiah are about the overthrow of Babylon. Again, back and forth he goes in big themes, and back and forth he goes within chapters. May the Lord bless you as you read it to not be frustrated by it. Isaiah is a great messianic prophecy. More than any of the other... Jeremiah is a history. There's very little about Jesus in Jeremiah compared to Isaiah. Same with Ezekiel compared to Isaiah. You know, there's some minor prophets that have quite a few mentions of the Lord Jesus Christ, like Haggai and Malachi. They're pretty dense with mentions of the Messiah that's coming, but Isaiah... Its magnitude of the coming of Christ and His great works, especially the work on the cross, prevails. Isaiah has been called the fifth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Isaiah. Because there's so much in Isaiah about the Lord Jesus Christ. One third of Handel's Messiah is from Isaiah. David's Messianic Psalms are glorious, but uh, so is Isaiah. Amen. Between 60 and 75 quotations of Isaiah in the New Testament, depending on how precise you want to be on is it word for word or is it implied or referenced in uh, the New Testament usage let me finish up with this and we'll have lunch I'm just going to read a few topics that are covered in the book of Isaiah make yourselves comfortable apocalyptic language explained and applied Amen. chapters 13 and 34 fantastic for learning about how to interpret prophecy in the book of Isaiah. No more explanations, just reading. God boasting about himself. Cyrus named 200 years before he was born. Babylon taken by little media when neither of those kingdoms was great at the time of Isaiah. Historical triplicate of Hezekiah and Sennacherib and the stories around them. Kings as our nursing fathers. Glorious names of Jesus Christ mocks associations and confederacies as having no power with God, 
fabulous vision of God's glory. Chapter 6, you know that one. Accessories and beauty tools of women. And women reminded of how to be humble and how not to walk. The walking motions of women, the hips swinging, mincing with the feet, all in Isaiah chapter 3. Graphic ridicule of idolatry and idolaters. Hezekiah's prayer is not found anywhere else but in the book of Isaiah in chapter 38. When he turned his face to the wall, that prayer is not in Kings, that prayer is not in Chronicles, that prayer is in the book of Isaiah. The virgin birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, substitutionary atonement clearly stated, theme for the movie Chariots of Fire, only occurrence of Lucifer in the Bible, conversion of Gentiles to great light, the verse that's used by the United Nations with their statute out front beating swords into plowshares. Agricultural wisdom is given to some nations and not to all. A new heaven and a new earth. Parable of the vineyard with sour grapes. Jesus' beard plucked, and it's not told anywhere else in the Bible but in Isaiah chapter 50. God using Sennacherib like a tool. Isaiah the prophet walks naked for three years to give a visual demonstration of what God's going to do to Egypt and Ethiopia by stripping them naked. Blinding and destruction of the Jews. There's a few topics that we'll run upon in the chapters of Isaiah. I'm sorry that I didn't get very far today, and for any of you that are discouraged, I'm sorry. But uh, you can get over your discouragement by reading Isaiah over the next seven days, and we will take up and go further. I want you to get into it yourselves so that you're with me as we jump into these chapters. I hope you saw one is pretty bad, two is pretty bad, but what's in the middle of two, verses one through five, are about us, and it's very good, very good. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word.